Welcome to episode 86 of Paws, Claws and Wet Noses, the vet podcast celebrating all creatures great and small and the fantabulous professionals who look after them all. Today is the third and final in the three-part series where Ian McLaughlin, CEO of the Veterinary Council of New Zealand, and I, Julie South, have a chat about how things are in the vet sector right now. If you haven't listened to the first two episodes, I encourage you to do that because it helps give context to some of the questions I ask Ian today. I'll put all the links on the show notes page at pawsclawswetnoses.fm. This week's episode goes to air the same week as the New Zealand Veterinary Association's annual vet conference at the Globox Events Centre in Hamilton. Until recently, it used to be known as Claudelands Arena. Globox is one of Hamilton's tech success stories and they've picked up the naming rights sponsorship to the event centre. And talking of things are changing, I've got some exciting news. You may or may not know that I've been with Vetstaff since 2019. Even though Vetstaff was born in 2015, unfortunately there was no one working in it for about 12 months when I started, so it kind of fell off the radar a bit, which I think is a bit of a crying shame. Anyway, because I've pretty much been the face of vet staff since 2019, most people probably didn't realize that vet staff wasn't actually my company. I treated it like it was, worked it like it was, did everything like it was, but it wasn't. But now it is. My husband and I have done what's often referred to as a management buyout. We've bought the business. <laughs> it's a bit like the guy who bought the Remington Razor Company. He liked the company so much, he bought it. Okay, so I'm giving my age away a bit there. On the outside, you won't notice much changing. I've already announced that we gift all of our new vet nurses, new vets and new techs three months free coaching after they start their new jobs, which they came to us to find for them. We do this because we think it's a nice thing to do and the right thing to do. We also believe both the clinic and the vet will benefit from that, especially when they're still finding their feet in a new environment. I want to emphasize though the two basic beliefs that everyone at vet staff has and which underpin everything we do. The first is that we believe all veterinary professionals deserve to work in a job of their dreams where they're valued and respected. We also believe that all veterinary employers of choice deserve to have the best staff, ones who are engaged, committed and are excited about going to work each day. If you like the sound of working with a recruitment agency that lives, eats and breathes those principles, then please get in touch with us at vetstaff.co.nz because we'd love to have a chat with you to see if we're a good fit 
for your clinic. But back to today's show and the chat I had with Ian McLaughlin. Right after Brian, who's coming up, Ian talks about how the Vet Council of New Zealand is helping Kiwi vet clinics employ vets whose overseas qualifications aren't recognised here. How VCNZ is supporting New Zealand clinics get more vets working under what's known here as limited scope registration. What needs to happen for allied veterinary professionals and vet nurses to be able to do more in clinic that helps free up registered veterinarians so they can do more of the work that legally they're the only ones who can do whatever that is. He explains what vet nurses and techs can legally do in New Zealand because there's a bit of mis- misperception and misunderstanding about that. He talks about, or we talk about, consumer education and who can do what to help with that, especially around the expectation and perception of clinic fees. He talks about what VCNZ does and what its job is. And then we wrap up with what Ian's been doing as a way to manage his mental health and stress levels. Right after Brian, so bring it on, Brian. An old vet told my father when he was a student in Glasgow, he said, uh, if you want to be a success in veterinary practice, just keep the bowels open and trust the rest to God. Nutrition's not an opinion, it's a science. They called me that weird herbal needle vet, and I I just remember thinking, well, I'm still going to do it, because I know it works, and I've got the research to back it. From reminiscences of the real James Harriet's son, to pet nutrition, to acupuncture, the Vet Podcast discusses current animal health issues from around the world. I'm veterinarian Brian Gregor from New Zealand. Just search for the Vet Podcast wherever you get your podcasts from. How is the council helping clinics to employ more overseas qualified vets under limited registration licenses as a way to not only recognise the skill of the overseas vet, but also to support the New Zealand sector. So we're, we're always happy to provide guidance to, to both clinics and, and the people considering limited registration on, on what options are available to them and, and how we might be able to make it work. So our registration team spend a lot of their time talking to people about this sort of stuff. And importantly, you don't need to come to them necessarily with a Look, I want to look at the scope and I've got this person in mind. We can we can have a more general conversation if that's what you need. And oftentimes that's actually better because we might have some ideas as to what scopes you might be able to use that, that you may not have thought of yet. So yeah, I mean, you know, in summary, we are acutely aware of those workforce challenges that that all clinics are facing at the moment. And and if we can make limited registration work for you for those clinics, we will. I think I am known to Despina. I've spent hours <laughs> on the phone. What about this? What about this? How if they go that way? Yeah, okay. yeah and I'm sure you'll, you'll agree to Spina's, you know, she's a great source of wisdom. She is, things, yeah, okay? yeah, she yeah. is. Now, what needs to happen for allied veterinary professionals and vet nurses to do a little bit more than legally do, a little bit more than they're doing now to help alleviate, to, to free up vets to do the stuff that seriously vets really should be doing and they can delegate more to the nurses and their techs. So interestingly, one of the, the challenges we have in this area is, is the very different or the vastly differing perceptions, I should say, about what a vet nurse or a tech can do right now. So, you know, as an example, there are places where 
where nurses are doing vaccinations fairly routinely. And interestingly, Massey are, are doing some research right now on these perceptions versus reality, and, and I believe they should be pretty close to publishing. So I think the first thing we can do, and, and by that I mean BCNZ, but also the professions, is, is, is working to clarify what nurses and techs can already do but may not be doing. Um, and I think that's step one, because my sense is that we are yeah, seriously underutilising them, even within the current bounds right now. And we're asking vets to do things that nurses should should be doing, and we're asking nurses to do things that, that lay staff should be doing. And and I think that is actually, a, you know, quite a big com- contributor to the pressure on vets right now. You know, if we can see more delegation happening, that should be good for not solving the shortage, but one of many factors that's going to help us deal with it. The other part of the equation is, is those things that allied professionals could do in theory, but but just aren't currently legally allowed to do. These aren't rules that BCNZ make. They're primarily coming from animal welfare law and also the veterinary medicines law. And we actually see this as a problem, and we believe that there should be some legal regulation of allied professionals so that they're empowered to do more, but to do it in a safe and controlled way, um, and also without all of that responsibility for delegation falling back on the veterinarian. We'd like to see them as professionals in their own right and taking on some of that responsibility themselves. So we're working on making a case to the government about this at the moment. You know, the next step is going to be consulting the professions, which should start in a couple of months' time. So I would ask, you know, all your listeners to keep an eye out for that. And and please, please do contribute because we're going to need really strong support for this if we're going to get any change through through government. One of the things that I have noticed, if there can be an upside of good side, a positive thing to come out of COVID in some clinics is the vets are delegating more to nurses now, which is giving nurses more job satisfaction and is improving their their sense of self-esteem and contribution to what they're doing, which means that they are staying in their jobs. So that's good because they're getting, they actually enjoy going to work because they make a difference. Mm. The downside of that is that there's a shortage of vet nurses come out of that. And nurses, you know, we all know that nurses need to earn more because the compare them to their human counterparts and it's disgusting, but yeah. pay-wise. Yeah, so it's getting, we need, there is a shortage of vet nurses, but some of them are being respected more and fulfilled yeah. more and some of them are not. Yeah, yeah. And that's that sort of, you know, the situation we're right now, you see that full spectrum from nurses who are doing, you know, a hell of a lot and, and some who aren't. And as you say, you know, no, no, you know, the silver lining of the situation is that we are seeing some opportunities for change. So as you say, using, including nurses and, and techs more and, and work is one big part of that. And it's also, uh, I think the situation we're in now where we don't have enough professionals to go around, but we also have, uh, you know, most clinics have got more than enough clients to go around, if that makes sense. You know, it puts you in a situation where you can rethink some of your pricing structures, for example, in terms of business profitability and and, and what sort of clients you want to take on. And, and, you know, I think I'm not going to pretend that it's an easy situation to be in right now, but there is real opportunity here to rethink some fundamentals and, and make a better environment for, for, for both professions, they're like professionals and veterinarians. Having uh, said that, though, sorry to interrupt, mm-hmm. having said that mm-hmm. is... Yeah, it's one thing, you know, I could say we could increase our prices because we've got over, you know, we've got more vet clinics on our books right now mm. looking for vets and nurses than, than 
exist yeah. almost. You know, we could increase our fees, supply and demand. Yeah. Would they be happy paying it? No. Would I have to educate them? Yes. So I think to to say, you know, that clinics can need to increase their fees, and I'm talking to clinics mm. from time to time about that as well, the public needs to be educated as to why vet fees are at the level that they are at because they don't yeah. know. You know, they expect when yeah. you and I go to the doctor, it costs us 50 bucks or whatever it costs us because it's subsidized. Yeah. Take my cat or the dog or the guinea pig to the doctor and it's not subsidized. And people don't appreciate that. How can I guess can we as a sector educate the public as well? Yeah. Yeah, look, very good question. And, and to be very clear, I, I, I don't pretend for a second that I can blithely come along and tell clinics that just need to raise their prices and it'll solve everything. That's not true, and, and I 100% appreciate it. It's much more complex than that. But you're right. I think client education is a, is a really big – or consumer education, I suppose, is a really big part of that, and it's something we've been talking about for years. And I think we all have a role to play. You know, I think, I think clinics can find ways to have that conversation with clients – and, and I know others like NZBA are looking at ways to reach out to clients and or to consumers and have that voice as well. I will say it's something BCNZ is looking very seriously at is, you know, how can we be better, you know, a better face? You know, how can we put a better face to, to consumers in terms of educating them on the veterinary sector? So, you know, I think, I think if we're smart about this, there are ways we can educate consumers around all sorts of things, right from the, should I buy that puppy? Do I understand the implications and how to get one that's not going to, require surgery straight away for you know for general defects to right through to why does it cost that much and how do I manage that cost over time? How do I prepare for that? So I don't have anything really concrete to say there yet, but um, I will say something we're, we're very seriously turning our mind to as to how, as BCNZ, we can have a voice in that space. And I'd certainly encourage others to do the same. Yeah. Do, do you think it needs to be the council though? Because council is regular, as I see it, life according to Julie, council is regulatory. It's not... It's not well. I don't see it as consumer facing. Well, I, no, I think I think um, one of the interesting parts of working in regulation for quite a while now is that I, I, I see different facets of how we can do our job. You know, and if you go back a while, people sort of regulate us as the people that do complaints and the bad stuff and nothing else. And you know, for a long time now, we've recognised that you know we can be much more efficient by you know much like they're thinking about, you know, prophylaxis and metaphylaxis, you know, we can move to the front end. And if we're actually supporting veterinarians in the everyday part of your practice, we dramatically reduce the, the, the chances of you being in the, in, the, in the reactive end of the regulatory process. And, you know, I think if we're smart, we can, you know, use that efficiency with, with consumers as well. And we're seeing a lot more regulatory work on actually educating consumers and stopping those problems before they happen. And I think if we can do that well, that's a win for everybody. So I agree, we, we, we're always going to have a role to be the traditional regulator, but we also need to think bigger if we're going to do our job well in the modern age. Can I ask you to drop the if and replace it with when? <laughs> yeah, so absolutely. Yeah. When, when, when we do this rather yeah. than yeah. if we do it, because yeah. when you do it, it's, it's, it's going to happen. If, it's always on the never, never. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. And, and I will say, I, I don't have anything concrete to say yet, but I'm very seriously turning my mind to how we do this well. And I guess there could be, well, I don't know. I have my mouth and put my foot in it. Would you be open to 
feedback from the sector. You know, if, if there are leaders in the clinics that have ideas on how this can happen, mm. to come to you. So, um, yeah, one thing I should be very clear on is we're always open to any feedback from, from the sector and the profession. We don't want anything. You know, if you have ideas on how we can work better and connect better with veterinarians and the public, we'd love to. Yeah. And we could do what the government does and create a working party. <laughs> I, I have a bit a of analogy to, to working parties, done. I've got to say. With a view <laughs> yeah. to getting it done. Yeah. Ian, let's, let's talk about you. Mm. Unless you have anything else you want to say about the sector and your role and the council's role that I may not have asked you. Well, look, I'll, I'll say some things you can choose to hear them or not, Julie, but... Um, yeah, well, firstly, thank you very much for having me on. I, I appreciate the opportunity, and I, I, I know some of your listeners will have hard questions for us, and you know, I'm very pleased to be able to answer them. You know, we're interested in being open about what we do and why. We're not here to be a you know invisible, uninterpretable regulator. You know, we want to be open and transparent about how we work and, and, and collaborate with people who are working in the industry. I'd also say I, I, I want to be very clear about what VCENTED is and what we do. We say we're the regulator, and people say we're the regulator, and that brings up a certain mindset about about how we act and who we how we should act. I should say, and you know, more fundamentally than that, you know, I see our job as upholding trust in the veterinary profession, and however we do that, that's our fundamental mission. You know, we're the we're the mechanism by which consumers can know they can trust vets, and vets can be in a position where they are able to be trusted. If that makes sense, and that's you know, promoting high standards. And also being a mechanism for enforcing standards where we need to do. Yeah, McLaughlin, the man. This the last two years, you know, you you haven't escaped stresses and the pressures that people in clinic have faced. You know, you've you've had your own in a different way because you've mm. probably had everybody screaming and yelling at you to do stuff. How how have you managed? What's your R and R? How do you unwind? Sure. Yeah. So. I should start that answer by saying, you know, the first thing I do is appreciate how lucky I am. You know, I, I have a steady job and I'm not necessarily client-facing the way a lot of clinicians are uh, and that has some real benefits for me. You know, I, I know things could be a lot tougher and I'm not pretending I've got it as hard, you know, harder than anybody else because I don't. But, yeah, it's, it's been a hard few years for everybody and, you know, I've got a team to, to manage here and a board to answer to and, you know, 3,500 veterinarian stakeholders that, you know, I need to you know, respond to and, and, and help. So I, I, I focus very much on, you know, a, a balanced life. So I, I've got, you know, I spend a lot of time with my family. I, I make sure I'm taking personal time. I, I got into running um, over the pandemic. I'm, and how's you know, that working out for you? Oh, I love it. You know, I never thought of it. You know, I've, I've always lifted weights, but I never thought running would be something I'd enjoy. But, you know, that pandemic puppy I, I got sort of sort of forced to have it on me and it turns out I, I love running yeah you know I, I, I work with Seton Butler and you know I'm not doing not doing sort of distances he runs you know he, him and his colleagues do some insane distances I'm still sort of five to ten k a day but I, I love it I'm also an avid reader like like most people I guess I've been building a bit of a habit of, of non-fiction as well so I'm trying to expand my thinking beyond what I traditionally read and think about so I, I've just finished a book called The Design of Everyday Things which is all about it doesn't sound like it, but it's all about psychology and human behaviour and, and, and the way the products and services we use are designed and how we can better design things to serve people, not processes. And then, as you'd imagine, there are some lessons there I'd like to take back to back to my day, my day job as well. And the I don't know whether you listen to 
the podcast. A few episodes back, Carly Houston of Franklin Vets talked about the Queenstown Marathon. So there, I'm just saying... <laughs> Look, I, I, there, I don't think I'm quite are, at that stage it doesn't yet. Have to be, it doesn't have to be the full marathon. Uh, my experience of marathons is that they have halves mm. and that they have 10Ks or quarter quarter yeah. quarter yeah. marathons. So, you know, I just put it out there that there could be a, a veterinary contingent on the start line at Queenstown this year, you know, just if you want something to work towards. <laughs> Would I make it to the finish line? I don't know. Um, if you're doing five I, to ten yeah. a day, you could do 11. Yeah. If you're doing yeah, five to ten a day yeah. now, you could do a half. Yeah. Look, it's something to think about. I, I will say I, I one of the things I'm enjoying about my running at the moment is that it's not particularly goal-oriented. It's just something I do for fun, you know, and I, I try to be a bit mindful while I'm doing it. Who's to say that won't change? Right now, I just like running. But, you know, goals are, goals are important too, so maybe something to think about. Back in the day, I used to be an endurance triathlete. And Gosh. it took me – it did my head in. And because it was always further, faster, better, mm. harder, higher, whatever it was. It was always more ur on the end. And on the 29th of August last year, when we were in lockdown again, I went out for a walk and I decided I was the minimum I was going to do was 1K a day, 10 minutes around the block. And I was not aiming to get faster. I was not aiming to go further. It was just that round the block. Mm. Every now and again, I, I went a bit further. And this week, I clocked up 270-something consecutive days. Good on you. Gosh. It's, yeah. It, but uh, seriously, it was – there were times when it did my head in because you got to yeah. go faster, you got to go faster, you got to go faster, you got to go further. And then you won't care. So it's can work yeah, the other first, way as well. Yeah. But well, 275 yeah, days. So I'm looking forward yeah. to getting to 365. And, yeah. and, and and what's happened is that because I have clocked up 270-something now, if I miss a day, I have to start from zero, and I don't want mm. to do that. So that <laughs> keeps it keeps it going. That's the um, Seinfeld method of productivity, isn't it? You just circle each day. Yeah. You can't break the chain. Yeah, yeah. Ab- and that's exactly what it is. I will say I, I really like that thinking, and it, it hits on a something I see in myself and my team, but I also see it in a lot of veterinarians as well, is you know, I think that desire to excel and be goal-oriented and have a competitive streak is, is hugely valuable. You know, we wouldn't achieve what we what we what we do if if we didn't have it, but it, it can also be hugely harmful. And you know, I really love the idea of forcing myself to relinquish that and you know in some parts of my life and just be okay with just doing something without a particular goal in mm. mind. Yeah. And when I found myself falling into that trap, you know, this last 270 odd days, I most of the time was able to recognize it. And I decided, right, this today you're just going to walk around the block and you're going to look for red things. Yeah. Or yeah. you're going to take photos of whatever. And it slowed me down and it made me stop and smell the roses and look for yeah. things beyond the the heart rate that I was clocking up or the the you know the pace I was sitting at. Yeah. You know, veterinarians are are perfectionists and yeah. and I admire them for it. And I wish my brain was wired that way with their science, but it's not. Mm. And I really do support them in and just stopping and taking a couple of deep breaths every now and again. 
Absolutely. Yeah, look, I agree entirely. One of the things I, I love about profession um, and I love working with them because of that drive, but we all have to look at our blind spots as well. And I think that that's quite a common one mm. for a lot of people, not just vets. Ian, thank you. I've, thank you, Julie. It's been, uh, I've had a lot of fun. I've yeah. really enjoyed it. And it's good to get to, to hear what you do, which mm. is beyond, you know, cracking the whip and beating the stick, which is what people think with regulation. Yeah, yeah, like I hope we can get away from that. Yeah, so. I hope I can do my bit to support that. So, yeah. Thank you. Very good. Thanks, Julie. Okay. Great to talk to you. See you. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you found this series informative and that it gives you, because it certainly gave me, a bit more of an understanding of why some things are the way they are. New Zealand's reciprocity with Australia plays a huge part. What affects us affects them and vice versa. Remember, Ian said he's always open to having a chat, so please take him up on that. Please tune in next week where I catch up with veterinarian Dr Jane O, one of the South Wairarapa Veterinary Services team members who's passionate, and I mean passionate, about sustainability. If you haven't yet clicked that follow button wherever you listen to your favourite podcasts, do so, because it means they'll be fed straight into your podcast feed as new episodes are released and you'll never miss out on any of your favourite shows. It is 100% free to do. Thank you for tuning in. I really do appreciate it. Wherever you are in the world, thank you for sharing the last half an hour or so of your life with me. This is Julie South signing off and inviting you to go out there and be the most amazing version of you you can be. Kia kaha, kakiti ano, God bless. Paws, claws, and wet noses is sponsored by Vet Staff. If you've never heard of Vet Staff, it's New Zealand's only full service recruitment agency, 100% dedicated to the veterinary sector. Vet staff has been around since 2015 and works nationwide, from Cape Reinga to the Bluff and everywhere in between. As well as helping Kiwis, vet staff also helps overseas qualified veterinarians find work in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Vetstaff.co.nz